Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up out of bed to pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck, to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger. By your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are seventy years, or perhaps eighty if we are strong. Even in their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper the work of our hands. Numbers 17, verses 1 through 11. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelites, and get twelve staffs from them, one for each ancestral house. From all the leaders of their ancestral houses, write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each ancestral house. Place them in the tent of meeting before the covenant where I meet with you, and the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will put a stop to the complaints of the Israelites that they continually make against you. Moses spoke to the Israelites, and all their leaders gave him staffs, one for each leader, according to their ancestral houses, twelve staffs, and the staff of Aaron was among theirs. So Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant. When Moses went into the tent of the covenant on the next day, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted. It put forth buds, produced blossoms, and bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the Israelites, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the covenant, to be kept as a warning to rebels, so that you may make an end of their complaints against me, or else they will die. Moses did so, just as the Lord commanded him. So he did. Second Peter chapter 3 This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last day scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact, that by the word of God heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by means of water, through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all of these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Late last week, the Centers for Disease Control reported that the average life expectancy has fallen the most it has ever fallen since the end of World War I. Rather than this being a medical or global crisis, it is one of our own desperation and isolation from one another. American life expectancy dropped the most since the first post-industrial international conflict because we are overdosing on opioids and taking our own lives. And no social group is killing themselves faster than veterans who will do so once every 72 minutes. I mention this very reluctantly as I did not envision either First Formation or Pew Pew HQ to focus much, if at all, on combat trauma, moral injury, depression, or other social ills. But the inescapable reality disclosed by the Revised Common Lectionary's selection of numbers is that we live in a world going dark, dimming its own lights as it races toward a twilight horizon. The emphasis in numbers on tribal staffs made me think of a sermon I gave a few years ago that I preached relying on Isaiah 9-2 very heavily. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of our nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. My sermon was about a young man starting a new ministry not unlike what I'm doing with Pew Pew HQ. He spends some time wandering, being tempted, and then when he finally hoists his ruck over his shoulders to do the damn thing, he starts by telling everybody, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, Jesus uses the words of Isaiah to smack some sense into his morally complacent, 
or criminally negligent faith community. Jesus left the town that he knew and loved to make his home, verse 13 tells us, in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Knowing that it spelled danger for himself after his cousin was arrested, Jesus withdraws from the Jerusalem hills and heads toward Galilee in the north, the land of ancient tribes of Naphtali and Zebulon. According to the Song of Deborah in Judges 5, Zebulon was the tribe responsible for carrying the martial staff, who, with Naphtali, was named explicitly as the tribe that stood prepared to give their lives bravely upon the field of battle against enemy commanders. Yet, for some reason, Zebulon and Naphtali are referred to in Isaiah as those who dwell in darkness, in the region and shadow of death. So it is to the, it is to the land of these brave warrior clans that the Son of God goes so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. The region and shadow of death evokes the 23rd Psalm, one of the most popular to modern combatants. Penned by an ancient warrior, King David's own dark crimson-stained hands prevented him from building a temple to the Lord. This psalm of his insists, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A psalm of relief for perpetrators of violence is often used as reassurance of God's protection and benevolence despite one's captivity in the dark valley of the shadow of death. Were you to meander through any given unit in Afghanistan, a war that has surpassed every other before in our history for its length, you would find Psalm 23 scribbled on Kevlar dust covers, scrawled upon improved body armor vests, <clears throat> or penned on papers stuck in a safe place close to a soldier's vulnerable flesh, a place only the closest battle buddy would be told about so that when necessary, it could be delivered to a close family member. Those of us who have known war have absorbed terrible wisdom, for war is a terrible darkness. In fact, the prophet Isaiah refers to Zebulon and Naphtali in twilight terms because, as two of the northernmost tribes, they were the first to be destroyed and carried off by the Assyrians in 723 BCE. But darkness is not all that war and military service is. Civilian Christians must reckon with the fact that soldiers are not just perpetrators, they are also victims. In our day, soldiers' moral agency is often compromised by the nature of an economic draft in which the poorest neighborhoods in need of social mobility often give their young up to the fight, as Zebulon and Naphtali before them. A financial crisis here, a relational emergency there, one way or another, the young men that I served with often joined out of less than ideal circumstances. Even after 9-11, it was surprisingly rare to hear of patriotism as a motivating force for enlistment. Social circumstances often necessitate service that can provide a steady paycheck and much-needed direction and discipline. Not everyone goes willing and ready for the fight. Sometimes it's a decision that comes at great expense, and the costs are often counted only after the dust settles. It is no coincidence that opioid deaths are concentrated in rural areas of our nation, just as veterans are as well. We are killing ourselves in desperate isolation. But pigeonholing soldiers as damaged goods or as being driven by bloodlust does them a disservice, for they have many gifts to offer the church. The virtues of military service must not be overlooked, and both the church and society would do well to value the kind of selflessness, sacrifice, respect, courage, and obedience that military training and service cultivates, which is pounded into recruits during basic training. Obedience, even to the point of death, is one virtue that soldiers can teach Christians. 
When I stood tall in formation every weekday at 0630 for first formation, I knew that the men beside me were prepared like Zebulon and Naphtali before them to give their lives for me in battle, and I was for them. The martial bond may be shadowy and tormented at times, but on them a great light has shone. For I fail to have that same trust in those who sit beside me in the pews for weekly worship. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After all, soldiers do not go to war alone, and the spiritual stowaways of PTSD and moral injury are not theirs alone to wrestle with. Trauma is social. Pain does not emerge from a vacuum. Soldiers have the unique burden of feeling like a victim and perpetrator at once. In the military, we forfeit much of our moral agency and too often fail to recognize morally reprehensible acts until it is far too late. Victims of circumstance like operational tempo, it becomes all too easy to pervert a virtue into a vice. We are conditioned to obey, 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 until we forget what it is like to think morally, to participate conscientiously with the moral framework that war requires. Satan helps us along, either by pacifists declaring war devoid of any morality, wringing their hands like Pilate until the skin peels, or by patriots spouting platitudinous gratitude through salivating chops with a taste for war. No shortage of veterans have recounted in their writings that the operational tempo and moral ambiguity allowed for, if not encouraged, a rapid decline in moral judgment. Combat trauma, like any trauma, is possible only in a social context. In numerous accounts of the My Lai massacre in Vietnam, testimony of the participating soldiers suggested that they did it in order to act in accordance with the soldiers on their left and their right. What begins as a small trickle of sin can easily grow imperceptibly until it is a torrent of evil. War casts a moral shadow upon those who dwell in its valley of death, but those who navigate its spurs and draws must not be forced to do so in isolation. Here ends my reflection. Prayer for the Victims of Addiction from the Book of Common Prayer. O blessed Lord, you ministered to all who came to you. Look with compassion upon all who through addiction have lost their health and freedom. Restore to them the assurance of your unfailing mercy. Remove from them the fears that beset them. Strengthen them in the work of their recovery. And to those who care for them, give patient understanding and persevering love. Amen. Thank you for falling into Pew Pew HQ's First Formation, where we share morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support this podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation. You can sponsor morning prayer for Pew Pew people with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, You can become a co-host yourself by recording a lectionary reading and sending it to me to be included in a weekday episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts can be found in earlier episodes, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in First Formation in this or any way. Finally, and maybe most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a voice message feature on Anchor's iOS or Android apps. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it. 
three ways to participate in morning prayers for Pew Pew people. I hope you will continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been and always will be Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.